You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. We're getting into the Word of God as we always do, and today we are in Mark chapter 6. So why don't you turn with me, if you have a Bible, to Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. If you don't have a Bible, maybe you can share with someone next to you. Uh, If you don't have the same translation as me, I do have it up on the PowerPoint screen as well. But today we see uh, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, and it's Mark 6, verses 30 through 44. Um, All right, says this. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't have time to eat. So they left by by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as they stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Verse 35, late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. And it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said to them, you feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups uh, groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and he looked up toward heaven and he blessed them. Then breaking the uh, the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this this morning, this area of your word and the specific narrative that you've given us to, to take time, to, to set aside time to study. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would draw out all the truths that you want us to get from this text. Lord, each of our lives are different. They're, they have different complexities. We're going through different trials or different highs and different lows. But we ask, God, that your word being living and active and powerful would, would penetrate our hearts, would speak to our hearts. And as your word is meant to, that it would teach us, it would correct us, it would rebuke us, it would train us in righteousness so that the man or woman would be adequately equipped for every good work. We pray that that would be true of us. We pray that we would, as we study your word, you'd not only give us understanding, 
but then there'd be real application for us as well. That when we take this away, God, that, you would, that we would walk away knowing something greater about your character and how it relates to our identity in Christ and that you, Holy Spirit, would continue to make us more like you, that we would be transformed into your image, that we would be a people that have more faith to trust you to provide for our every need, to be with us, to care for us, that we would release, so to speak, the reins of our life and that we would allow you to lead. You would allow, we would allow you to shepherd us and care for us as it's supposed to be. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So obviously, uh, if you grew up in the church, or if, even if you didn't, um, this is a very common or story that just like Jonah and the whale or Daniel and the lion's dead, it's Jesus feeding the 5,000. It's a very famous uh, you know, parable or famous story, and uh, we all might know it. We all might have heard about it, and uh, it, many times it's you know, in, in the Sunday school or the kids' church spoken, and it's this really cool thing that God did. And it is. It's amazing. It's miraculous. It's all those things, but I believe that there's even much more depth to it than we're used to, or maybe, maybe a typical reading. And I think there's five things. So I'm going to go five, five things that I think are really important, important for our own lives, uh, takeaways for us. And there's five truths I think we can glean from this text this morning. And so as, as we work our way through the text, we're just going to go through and we're going to highlight these, these key ideas. Number one is we need quiet time with God. Number two, Jesus has compassion on the state of humanity. We, we see that. The third thing we see is that Jesus invites us to participate in the building of his kingdom with him. Next, we see that Jesus is able to provide all our needs, right? That's the, that's the, the big gist of the story, that he did that. And lastly, and I believe most importantly, that we learn and we see and that we need to glean that we, speaking of humanity, are all in need of a shepherd and that shepherd being God. So the first thing we see here is this need that we, sorry, I, if you're taking notes, I see some of you taking notes. God bless you. I'll, I'll wait for a second. I want you to get these. I'm going to work through them though. So, you know, if you don't get one, but number one is that we need quiet time with God. And that's, that's the very first thing we see in verses 30 through 33 this morning. So if you remember from last week, Jesus had just sent the disciples out to do ministry for the first time. They had never done it on their own. They were, they were greenhorns to it, but they went out with power and authority and God used them. And they came back from, from ministry, from going town to town and preaching the gospel and being used by God. They came back and the first thing that Jesus said, he doesn't talk too much to him. He says, you need a rest. You need, you need to stop. We need to go to a quiet place. You need to be alone. And so the first few verses is this idea that Jesus stops them. He hears, what, they, they, they speak of what they did and he says, we need to go away and be alone and be in quiet before we do anything out excuse me, anything else. And this isn't the only time, but we see throughout the Gospels, Jesus himself going off to a quiet place, free of people and distractions for the purpose of reconnecting with his heavenly father. 
It wasn't just for the disciples, but Jesus himself multiple times. We see this in Mark. We see this in other gospels. We see this specifically in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? On the eve of the crucifixion, the night before Jesus would go to the cross, he had to go away and be with his father. And when the disciples come back from their ministry, Jesus hears what they've done, knows what they've done, and he knows that they need rest. He knows the state of their hearts and how fragile they were and their propensities to wander and get burnt out and all the above. And he knew the disciples needed to be away and get away with their Father in heaven once again. They had just labored and they needed to rest. And this reminds us of when, uh, this idea that God gives us a Sabbath. Like we see throughout the Old Testament and the New that, that we were built to, to work hard, right? Even in scripture, it's like work hard for six days, but do nothing on the seventh. Rest, reconnect with the Father. Like be refreshed and refueled so that you can then walk into life and ministry and all these things filled and not just poured out and empty. Right, they shared what they had done. The first thing that Jesus said to them is no more ministry. <laughs> No more other people. And you need to come away and you need to be with the Father again to be filled, recharged, recentered, and for God to minister to them. And the truth is, is that we are no different than the disciples. Humanity, like we we have limits. We are not invincible. Uh, We're not made to be. We are not God. We're We're not made to run ragged until we collapse. Uh, Our culture teaches us that. We do that to ourselves a lot, right? We run, we run, we run. We have have trouble stopping. We have trouble resting. We have trouble being still. And we feel like being still or resting or taking a day off is a bad thing. And we've been taught that by culture. But it's wrong. And it's not right. And it's not meant to be. We are not supposed to live our lives as if we're invincible or have no limits But instead, we're to cultivate intimacy, closeness, and nearness with God. And this idea of going away or being still or having solitude or silence with God is like a main practice of the Christian. And it needs to be. And it needs to be utmost priority. And so what Jesus does is the first thing he says to them is stop and come away and be with me and be recharged once again. Uh, for me, I'm really good at not doing this. So I'm so good at not doing this. Uh, if you know, know me, um, I'm pretty much like this energy-wise until I go to sleep. <laughs> you might be like, whoa, dude, that's just too much. That's too much. Um, I have trouble resting. I have trouble stopping. I have trouble doing nothing. And, you know, it's really funny, but... One of my first jobs was in and out Burger in California. Yeah, oh, wow, yeah, right. Oh, I'm a fan. So uh, I worked there all throughout high school and into college, and first day of training, first day of training, it's, it's good to get your money out of the worker, but it, it got ingrained in me too much, is if you have time to lean, you have time to clean. And, and you get in trouble, you can lose your job if you aren't doing something all the time. Oh, they get your money out of you. They pay well, but 
that, that was like the tone and tenor of that job. Like there is no time to rest. There's no time to stop and write with an employee. That, that's a good thing to ingrain so you're not sleeping on the job and stuff. But nonetheless, I feel like for me, it's gotten to this place and I'm constantly reminded of how unhealthy it is not to stop, not to rest. And when it comes to my spiritual you know, my walk with the Lord and our walks with the Lord, it is so detrimental when we don't stop and just listen and pray and be still before the Lord and just be free of distractions and turn this off. Such a good thing when you turn this off. You ever done the trick? Like when you're eating with someone, you put all your phones in the middle and turn them off. You should try it. It's the hardest thing in the whole world. Right? We're built on like always being connected and always going and there's no time to rest and we need to be productive and we always need to be working. But we see that that is not how we're designed. That's not how we're designed. I know for me, the last few years, I've really tried to pace myself, to know my needs and my limits and be aware of the amount of quality time specifically I'm spending with Jesus. So the first thing, like even before we get to the feeding of the 5,000, we need to ask ourselves is do we personally practice this, right? Do we set aside time and think about this? Are we still and quiet before the Lord? And, and maybe you ask yourself, when's the last time you were? I get it. I got two young kids and me and my wife both work. And like, dude, time is like worth millions. Like time is so hard to find. But the challenge here is it's worth it to find it. It's essential. It's needed. We have to find time away with God or else it will hurt us. The second thing that happens is, right, he says this. They're trying to go away, but they get stopped. They're trying to be quiet, and then the crowds come. They see, the crowds see Jesus and his disciples trying to sneak away, and they're like, nope, not having it. They actually run to the part of the coast where they're going to land in the boat, and they're, they're met by multitudes of people, right? I mean, multitudes of people are, are with them, and instead of maybe, you know, Jesus turning them away and uh, saying, nope, can't deal with you now, it says that he has compassion on them, right? Jesus has compassion on the state of humanity. Crowds from all over were coming. And here we see like a number, sheer volume. We see in different accounts that it specifically says there was 5,000 men and their families and children. And so if you account for wives and kids, most scholars will put the estimate more like 15 to 20,000 people are on the banks. This is like not a small group of people. To give you like some grasp on that, like if the, if the Waikiki shell is full, like capacity is 8,000 people. Like every seat, everywhere. So it's like twice as many people as like the biggest concert at the Waikiki shell. That's the amount of people that come to greet Jesus and the guys on their way to, to have quiet time. For those of you guys with like crowd phobia, you guys are like, I'm out, <laughs> right? But G what Jesus did is he sat there and it says he taught them many things. And it says he did it for a while because it said it was late and the people got hungry, right? Bound to happen. Men, women, and children sitting down in Israel. It's hot. It's in the remote mountainside on the Sea of Galilee 
and he's teaching them for hours, and he's explaining and teaching the, the, the kingdom and about his father in heaven. It was getting late. People got hungry, and the disciples, you know, are with Jesus, and they're like kind of not in it, right? They're on the side, and they see a problem with this, right? The crowds are wrestling, especially kids, I bet, are just like telling their parents, I'm hungry, just like our kids do. I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. The disciples saw the problem, and they told Jesus to send them all away. Like, we can't deal with this. Like, we got a real problem on our hands, Jesus. Like, but we see here is that Jesus had something else planned. He had something else planned. Like, the disciples, all they saw was, like, a problem. And Jesus saw an opportunity to show his glory and his grace and his power to these multitudes. I don't know if you're like me, but if you're in any sense like a planner, or if you've thrown big parties, or if you've done big meals, like, I can get behind the disciples. I probably would have been the loudest disciple, like, hey, we cannot deal with these people. There is no way that we're going to feed these people. This is like a real problem. Uh, back in California, um, God had done an incredible thing. We did an Easter service with like three of the realities, and there was 10,000 people that came. And I was involved uh, of, of feeding 10,000 people. And I'll tell you right now, this is a real thing. I mean, this is, this is, this is, this is no joke. This is not like a little barbecue. This is not a beach day. This is like, I mean, we had semi-trucks, hundreds of people helping, and it cost a lot of money. I mean, that's now. Like, we actually had someone that went to our church that worked for FEMA that he fed disaster workers in, like, Katrina. We had him bring his trucks, his semi-trucks, to feed 10,000 people, right? If you feed them, like, they're all hungry right now. Feed them. <laughs> this is no joke. And so when I read this story, I'm like, Jesus, what are you talking about? Like, these guys have got a good plan and a good idea. And for many, you might be able to relate to this, right? That's exactly what's happened here. But Jesus didn't see a problem. All the disciples thought about was like logistics. It's not going to work. Get them away from here. Or it's going to be our problem. But Jesus didn't see that problem. He saw something much more important. right? He looked through their, the temporal needs of them being hungry, and he saw the condition of their hearts. Like he saw the condition of their heart. And right, he was exhausted. They were tired. His plan was to be alone with the boys and with God. And Jesus confronted the multitude. And most of us in that case, in our selfishness, would have been like, I can't deal with you. I'm out. Deal with yourself. I got to go away. I'm done with all of humanity. Specifically those introverts in the room. You get what I mean. I'm not an introvert, but uh, as you might know. But... Right? That, that's what have been our natural reaction, but Christ's heart broke for them. And it says that he had compassion for them. He cared about them eating. He, cares, he cared a lot more about the state of their hearts. And he was there so that they would come into contact with the God that made them so that they might be saved and redeemed and set free. And that was his utmost concern. And he was going to go to any lengths to meet those needs. He had compassion on them. The disciples, all they saw was a problem. Jesus what they saw was he, what he saw was the condition of their hearts. And I'm telling you right now, 
We cannot fathom the depth of God's love for us. Like we can't. You can try all day for all of eternity to try to, to try to quantify God's love for humanity and you still won't get to it. See, God, in the midst of all our junk, right, all our mess, all our, our sin and our, and, our, and our waywardness and all the things that we do and have done and all the ways that we, we rebel, and he looks at all of that and he knows all of it and he says, I love you. Not like, get away from me. Not, I'm done with you. Not like, you're too far gone. But he looks at our junk. I mean, he looks at the ugliness of sin and all that we've done to our lives to maybe mess up our life. And he says, I love you. And he doesn't just say it, but he shows us it, right? God's sending his son to earth so that he could go to the cross and die on the cross to get us back was the ultimate rescue mission. You like a love story? It's the ultimate one. For those of you guys that like romantic dramas, this is the best one. It's the ultimate display of sacrificial, compassionate love that anyone has ever showed anyone. It is pure and undefiled, unconditional love. And so when Jesus meets humanity's brokenness, he denies himself. He teaches them. He spends time with them. He pushes through his tiredness, and he does all this because of the compassion he had for every man, woman, and child in that crowd so that they might know him. And our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and his compassion is the same for you and I. But that's what we see. It was much deeper than just meeting temporal hunger. He was looking at the condition of their hearts, and he had compassion on them. And you know, Jesus in a moment could have just fed them all. He could have just rained down, done this thing, could have fed all their bellies. He's God, right? He can do miracles. But he, he doesn't do it that way. And he doesn't do that through scripture. What we see is, our next point, is that Jesus invites us to participate in the building of his kingdom with him. And I love that. Right, because... <laughs> I love Jesus' response in verse 37, right? The disciples are like, we got to send them away. We can't do this thing. And Jesus says, you feed them. <laughs> right, I love that. Like, the disciples are like, what are we going to do? And Jesus says, you feed them. They're like, wait. And they said, with what? He's like, well, I'd have to work for months enough to earn enough money. And then Jesus, you know, tells them, hey, go out. Find out how much food you have and come back. Right? Jesus denies their request to send them away and fend for themselves. And he asks them to bring what they have. It's five loaves and two fish. I mean, guys, think, think about how pathetic that is. I mean, really? That's all you could scrounge up, guys? Think, there's 20,000 people. That's the communion bread. Like, communion bread and, the you know, like, hey, I got a couple fish. I mean, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Right? And, you know, I, I don't know. I could just, Jesus is not, he's not flawed. He's, he's perfectly amazing. But can you think about if you ask these 12 guys to go find some food? And that's what they brought back. I would have been like, I'll just do it myself. Honestly, I, I can't deal with this. But that's not what he does. That's not what he does. It, it, this is the, the utter beauty and amazement of God is that he chooses to use humanity. Like in all our brokenness, flawed, messed up lives. And he says, come with me and help me to build my kingdom. I want to use you. 
I, I want to speak through you. I want to I use you to do this. And so that's what Jesus does. He, he has them go get the bread, and then he has them distribute it, and they are fully being used by the Lord as this miracle unfolds. And that's the character of God. He doesn't choose to work independently from us, but he chooses to work through us. And he doesn't have to, right? He does not have to. He could do everything himself. But if you read scripture, beginning to end, that's what he does. He chooses ordinary men and women, young and old. Those are the ones that God chose to rescue his people to teach, to prophesy, to preach, to equip, to correct. I mean, this is what God does. He loves us. He cares for us. And then he chooses to use us. And what this should do is it obviously should keep us in constant awe and full of thankfulness. Because I know for me all the time, I look at my own lives and who I am and what I've done and what I haven't done. And I'm like, God, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be used by you. And the truth is, I don't. But by grace, he's chosen us. By grace, he has. And to give you a little encouragement, because I think some of you in here are like, well, you're you and I'm me and you don't know what I've done and you don't know how I am, so how can God use me? I want to tell you a list of the main people, men and women in scripture that God has used, and I want to pull out their main flaw. You guys will relate absolutely with some, and some will be way worse than you ever are, and God still used them. Abraham, old. He was old, really old. That's, I mean, that's his thing. Like some people say, I'm too old to be used by God. Not true, look at Abraham. Elijah, suicidal. That's ah, true. Some people say that. I'm out. I'm going to retire and I can't be used by the Lord. It's like, you can't. That's not true. Look at Abraham. Elijah was suicidal. Joseph was abused. Job didn't have any money, went bankrupt. Moses had a speech problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Samaritan woman at the well was divorced. Noah was a drunk. Jeremiah was young. Right? That's the thing. You're too young. Nope. Jeremiah was. Jacob was a cheater. David was a murderer. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Peter denied Christ three times. Martha worried about everything. Zacchaeus was small and money hungry. The disciples fell asleep while praying. And Paul was a Pharisee who persecuted Christians before becoming one. I mean, this is the saints of old. This is, the, this is like, this is the hall of faith. And this is who God chose to use. This is the ones. So don't make it about the men and women of the Bible and not, re- not be relatable. Like they are absolutely relatable to you and I. But by God's grace, he saves us. And he continues by grace to use us for his glory. And so do not think for one second that there's any reason that God cannot use you. No excuses anymore. God chooses to use us for the building of his kingdom by his grace. And what it does is it keeps us always dependent and it keeps us always thankful. We know we don't deserve it or in and of ourselves we can't do it on our own. But God chooses to and we see that firsthand in the scripture. You guys still with me? We're to point four. We're moving along. Point four. 
Jesus is able to provide all our needs, right? That's what we see here. He took these five loaves of bread and two fishes. He had everyone sit down. And now Jesus, he gets a little logistical here, right? He has people sit in 50s and 100s. And okay, what's he doing? He has the disciples, you know, pass, pass, you know, out the food after he blessed it. And the miracle unfolds. Before everyone's eyes, all are fed. I mean, everyone was full. It actually says that everyone ate as much as they wanted and there was more leftovers than when they started. I mean, this was like like a real incredible miracle that happens before everyone's eyes. The multiplication, excuse me, multiplication of of bread and, and fish start happening. And the truth is that, yes, that's amazing, but what it shows us of God's character is that God cares about our every need. He cares about everything in our lives, about the details, the little things, the big stuff. Not just in the people on the banks that day, in in our lives as well. He is intimately acquainted with our ways. He knows our pain and our struggles. He knows the depths of what you need better than anyone, better than your spouse, better than a doctor, better than anyone. He knows what you need emotionally. Like he knows what you need spiritually and mentally and physically. Like God knows your financial needs. He knows your relational needs. Like, he knows your needs. And not only that, he's able to meet those needs. He's able to do miracles. He's able to provide. He's able to, when it seems like things are impossible to God, it's not even a problem. Right? Because we, like the disciples, look at our own lives and we, we, whether it be bills in the mail or bank account or relational drama or whatever it is, right? We look at our problems and go, there's no way. And we become so overwhelmed and burdened and distraught. But to God, it's like, no biggie. It's no big deal. And when we see that, is we're reminded today and each week that God cares and is able. If you're anything like me, my practicality and planning out everything gets me in trouble a lot when it comes to Jesus and having the faith to believe because um, if you're like me and if you're like a planner or you like to figure things out or I may be a little overboard maybe, but if we're going to hang out, I want to know what we're doing. And if I don't know what we're doing, I don't really want to go. I need to know. I need to know what's the plan. So if, if you're like, yeah, anyway, I need to know what the plan is so I can figure it out, right? And uh, it's, it's, not a, it's not a good thing in a lot of ways actually. It does help. But when it comes to me and Jesus, I fall into the trap a lot with trying to problem solve my own life. I try to look at, you know, I try to weigh the tables. I try to figure it out. And if I can't figure it out myself, then it just can't happen. And I'm done there. It just can't happen. Well, instead, I should come before the Lord. I should ask the Lord. I should present it before the Lord. And I should just maybe be humble enough to say, I don't know everything, and it can work out. And in God's economy, nothing is too hard for him. And a reminder from us from the Apostle Paul to the letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians 3.20, speaking about our God, he said, all glory to God who is able 
through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Like God is able. It just takes us to trust and ask and depend upon God. We can be encouraged that we're not alone. Even the disciples weren't going to even try in this situation. But we see here that God is so much bigger, better, and more powerful. And he's more capable than we'll ever know. And their failure was just not asking, not even thinking, not even bringing, not even presenting it to Jesus. Like, we just gotta, we just gotta send them away. They didn't even ask the Lord, like, Lord, what should we do? They just said, we gotta do this. And God had a different plan, and he does for our own lives as well. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can hope, ask, or think. And lastly, and I believe probably most important for us as a takeaway, is that we are all in need of a shepherd, right? So everyone on that shore that day, everyone that ate that fish and, and, and those loaves of bread, everyone that was a part of that miracle was in need of a savior and we too are in need of a savior. We too are in need to be shepherded and cared for and we all are in need for God to save us. Right? These people on the banks, they were all lost, they were wayward, they were blind, they were spiritually bankrupt, they were far off from Jesus. And Jesus uses this illustration many times to describe himself in humanity as a shepherd and the sheep. He, he does it all the time, that we are his sheep and he is our shepherd and my sheep know my voice and I care for them. Right? Psalm 23, the famous psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He speaks of himself as a shepherd. He speaks of humanity as sheep. We, like those on the bank before knowing Jesus, were wayward, blind, spiritually bank bankrupt, and far off. The main idea there, the reason why Jesus uses this illustration as a sheep and a shepherd, and it's because it, it's true, sheep, like the animal, need a shepherd. They really can't function without one. Like, they don't know where to go, they need to be fed, they need to be trained, they need to be corrected, and, and they're really dependent upon a shepherd. Their lives depend on being shepherded by a shepherd. They often, if not, get hurt and, and, and wander off and fail to eat. Sheeps are very fra sheep are very fragile, and they have to have a shepherd to lean them, lead them. The same is true of that crowd, the same is true of this room, and the same is true of all of humanity. Like, we were designed to be shepherded by God. Like, we were designed to be in communion with God, to be led by God. We were designed to be, to be under God's authority and dominion. Like, we're supposed to be underneath Jesus' lordship. We're not meant to do life on our own apart from God. Like, we're not meant to not have Jesus lead us. Trust me, you are not meant to lead yourself. I don't know if you've ever figured that out yet. It becomes a world of hurt and pain when we're living outside of God's design. But we're all in the same boat, right? Romans tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Like, all of us are in need of a shepherd, and for those of us in here, 
At one point that are saved, that trust in the Lord, at one point or another, we've recognized and we've responded to this, right? Like maybe it's something that's happened in our life or when we actually realize that we're sinners and that we're, that we're you know, made to have a savior. When we recognize that, that's the reason why you give your life to Jesus, why you surrender, the point that you got saved is when you said, Jesus, it's not all about me. It's about you. Like, lead me. I repent. I turn from my sinful, selfish living, and I want your life. I want you to lead me and you to care for me. I want your, your word to guide me. And we allow him to shepherd us. But the question that we have to, have our, to, to ask ourselves, or the point is, is that are we allowing God to still shepherd us. Yeah, we made the decision. It was the one-time thing. Yeah, we surrendered our whole life. But are we, in our everyday, complex, busy life, are we thinking, oh, I got this thing. Oh, I, I can shepherd myself, so to speak. Like, I'm, I'm good. Like, yeah, I'm going to heaven. Yeah, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. But actually, are we allowing him to shepherd us? Are we allowing him to care for us? Are we allowing him to correct us when needed? Are we allowing him to feed us and train us and refine us? All that a shepherd would do to a sheep. Are we allowing Jesus to be our good shepherd? That's, at the end of the day, that's what Jesus saw. He saw these people broken and hurting and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. We're in need of our great shepherd to care for us and love us and lead us and guide us. And I hope and pray that these truths, they might confront us, but I hope that they transform us. My prayer for us leaving this place is that the Holy Spirit helps us to submit and surrender to our great shepherd's perfect, powerful, and loving leading, right? That we would just give in and give up and say, God, your way is better than my way, and I don't know best, and you're able to do exceedingly abundantly, and so God, do it. My prayer for us is that we would be a people that are in submission and in allegiance and in obedience to our good shepherd. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these several uh, truths and reminders from your word. But Lord, as we, as we worship you now, as we spend a few more songs worshiping you and and declaring your attributes and your characteristics, we pray that we would do it from a place of real thankfulness this morning. We pray that we'd do it from a place of surrender and submission. God, it's one thing to say it, but we ask that you'd help our hearts to really to do that, to surrender on a, on a deep level. God, we, we corporately want to say we just release control. Like we're not in control of our lives. We shouldn't be. We say that your ways are better than our own way. And we just declare that you are the good shepherd and you know your sheep best. Lord, you know, for some of us, we need to be comforted right now. For some of us, Lord, you know that we need to be corrected. Like we're just, we're just wayward. And so we want, we want to say, yes, God, you know best. 
For some of us, we need to be equipped and encouraged and spurred on. We, we just say, yes, God. Trusting that you are the great shepherd that loves us unconditionally more than we can ever fathom. We want to give you uh, full reign over our lives. And so, God, we just say yes and amen to your perfect plan and your perfect leading for our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.